The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Last time we came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we were blessed by Brother Rick Lazant. He delivered a, a powerful message, just a reminder to us of the suffering that our Savior endured on the cross. Specifically, we looked at the crown of thorns. And it's amazing, as you look to the crucifixion, as you actually just attempt to think about what it was that Christ suffered, even every little detail becomes powerful. Every little step that he walked, and every little, every little punch that was thrown, and every piece of his beard that was plucked out, and, and the crown of thorns, and the mocking, and the spitting, and the, the whipping, all of it is just... It's excruciating. It's, it's awful to think of that the Lord of glory endured this. And it just shows us the ugliness of our sin. And tonight, I think we are just so blessed to be invited to this service, to be invited to the communion service by Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if God himself invited you over to a meal? I mean, if God came to you and literally said, listen, so-and-so, I would like for you to come to my house and I would like to prepare a meal for you and I would like to dine with you. I'd like to enjoy fellowship with you. Um, I mean, it'd be incredible, right? I mean, it'd be, it'd be just a mind-blowing experience. It would be something you would think about every day and every moment to the day that it happened and then afterward to be the, the highlight of your life and the thing that changed you. And it, every moment you'd think back to that time you actually got to eat with the Lord. It'd be just incredible. Um, Just the thought of such an invitation would bring joy knowing that the Lord of creation has ordained to have a meal with someone like us. It would be amazing. And I think you probably have an idea of where I'm going with this, right? You're smart people, you're putting the pieces together, and you're understanding that tonight we got the opportunity to sit at the Lord's table. And I think the question that many of us ask is, why does it seem like An evening like this, a time we get to set aside to have communion and fellowship with one another at the Lord's Supper, to remember his death, to think of his second coming, to um, examine ourselves. Why does that not seem to impact people the way we expect it to? Why is this room not full? I mean, seriously, if it was more people would show up to a morning service where there's... and, And listen, I love the preaching of God's word. But this is something that Christ himself invited Christians, believers, to be a part of. This is his supper. Why is it not full? It it kind of strikes many of us, I think, as odd. And as I thought about that question, as I thought about coming together and just what a privilege we have, I thought of a few reasons that, that maybe some people don't find the Lord's Supper as astonishingly wonderful as they ought to. The first problem or question was that I think sometimes we think of communion as a tradition rather than an invitation to fellowship with God. We think of it as just a tradition, something that we do. The second reason is I think our names being on the invitation is not as astounding as it ought to be for us. And finally, I think that we don't understand the cost of that invitation. So what I want to do tonight is I want to just look at these three, three problems that I think that all of us deal with to some extent. 
and hopefully at the end of this realize that this is an incredible opportunity of fellowship with God, that it's, it's just, it's, it's beyond words amazing that we are invited to something like this and that the cost of this invitation was the blood of the Lord. And so we have come tonight to celebrate the Lord's Supper. There are many names used for it, communion, the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, Lord's Table. Um, I like the idea of it being the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. I like the, the informality, but also the invitation that seems to come with that term for it. Um, the first problem I think we deal with is that we think of communion as a religious tradition rather than an invitation to fellowship with God. At the very first communion service, It was Christ who organized the room, Christ who planned the feast, Christ who hosted the meal, Christ who invited the guests, and Christ who prayed for the food. This was was something that he did, something that he set up. In Luke 22, verse 19, he said, This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he not only set up the first communion service with his disciples, where he chose the guests and he did all of the work surrounding it, but then he said, from this point on, I want you to do this. I invite you to do this over and over again, and you need to do it in remembrance of me. This is not something that was instituted by the church or man. This is not something that we do simply because we think it's a neat tradition. This is something we do because the Lord specifically commanded it and invited us to it. Christ set up the ordinance. The tradition is not man-made, it's God-made. And so it's much more than a tradition. What's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know the, the chapter about the communion service is prompted by the fact that the church of Corinth is doing the whole thing wrong. Right? The church of Corinth is just is messing this thing up. And you say, well, what exactly were they doing wrong? Were they using the wrong kind of bread? Were they using the wrong kind of wine? Were they, you know, what, what was it? Maybe they weren't meeting all together. I mean... It seems to me like when you read Paul's problem with 1 Corinthians, with the church of Corinth, um, it's not necessarily their tradition that's the problem. It's not necessarily the actions. Now, certainly some of the actions that they took ended up being wrong, but it seems like the problem, the bigger problem, was that they weren't doing what they were invited to do by Christ. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 11.20, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what tradition you're keeping on yourselves, but that's not the one you were invited to by Christ. It's not the Lord's Supper. So the elements of the tradition were still there, but this was not the service they were invited to. There was no remembrance of the suffering and death of Christ. There was no fellowship together as one body unified. There was no communion. There was no repentance and reconciliation. There was no joy in the grace and forgiveness offered by Christ. There was no hope of the second coming. All the things that were invited to, they missed. But they still seemed to do most of the tradition pretty well. It's important for us to remember that this is not just a tradition. This is not some religious thing we come to. Because when it's that, then it becomes mundane. Then it becomes boring. As soon as this becomes just something we go through the motions, uh, Andrew mentioned that during the prayer, and I, I, that's my prayer tonight. This is a night where we just don't go through the motions. Because as soon as we do, then it really doesn't matter what we do. It's not what we're invited to. We're invited to fellowship with God. We're invited to remember, to examine, and to hope. And we ought to be doing those things tonight.
So tonight is an invitation first given by Christ 2,000 years ago that his disciples should meet together regularly to eat at his table, and it's an invitation that is offered to every believer here tonight. Problem number two, we are not astonished at this invitation for us. The first thing is we think of it as just a tradition. The second thing is I think the fact that, that believers in Christ are invited to it don't, it just doesn't astonish. It's not astounding. It's not amazing to us. It just seems kind of normal. We almost expect it. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells three stories about feasts. So, so he's talking about different feasts, and he's teaching three different lessons. Um, he's teaching the importance of humility in the first. He's teaching that the greatest blessings that we can receive come from God, so we should serve people with that in mind in the second. And then in the third, he's teaching about the invitation of grace, Send to all the world. And I want to read some verses here in Luke chapter 14, because I think these verses show us the character of God and show us how amazing it is that, that God, planning this amazing feast, chose to invite us to it. Luke 14, verse 15 says, When one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, so he's been hearing Jesus teaching about feasts, he said unto him, Blessed is he, that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is teaching about feasts, and you've got to think of what's going on in this man's head when he asks the question. He says, the man who gets to eat bread, to feast in the kingdom of God, how blessed is that man? That would just be amazing, incredible. And the man, as he asks the question, seems to be thinking, how would anybody get to that point where they would be invited to a feast at the kingdom of God? What kind of man would that or woman would that have to be? They must be pretty impressive to be invited to feast in the kingdom of God. They must be so impressive and that's why they get to receive such an uh, amazing blessing. And so Christ now gives this story, this parable, answering who the blessed people will be. Verse 16, then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And so the first invitation is sent out, and it's sent out to those who are expected to come. Those who we would expect to be invited. Here the invitation is sent out to the children of Israel the elite of Israel, those who everybody else looked upon and thought of as very righteous, that they received this invitation. Verse 18, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Here we have these excuses given. And I hope as we read those excuses, you saw how every one of those excuses dealt specifically with temporal things. That these people were just so focused on their lives and what they could get, or what they had. I mean, the one guy just wants to see his land. What's that about? And then the person who gets married, I got married, he doesn't really give a reason, okay, so, but, so I can't come, 
right? I bought five yoke of oxen. Like, so what? So focused on today. Can you imagine how devastating it will be for those men who made excuses why they could not come to this feast we're talking about tonight? Can you imagine how awful it would be to be invited to the feast by the king of heaven, right? We know where this is going. And to say, you know what? I've got something to attend to today. That eternal feast, I'm just going to have to be excused from. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. So now the, the servant is being sent in the city, and this is the city of Jerusalem, we understand, and, and, and there's to go and find the people that everyone else would pass by. Find the, the poor and the maimed, those who are sick, those who are weary, those who don't have anything to contribute, those who, uh, the, the feast, if you were trying to set up a feast that would make the host look good, you would not invite this group of people. He said, go to those people that everyone else would pass by in Jerusalem and invite those to come. Already we're starting to understand the character of this servant, or this king, this Lord. Verse 22, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. It's interesting, there's, there's always room. And the Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now the servant is commanded to go out, to leave the city, to go into the highways and hedges, to find the travelers, to find those who are nomads, to find those who are lost and weary, and invite them and Invite everyone you come across, go as far as you need to, and invite people to come. See, the Lord... He wants his house to be filled. He wants people to come. He wants people to dine with him. And so the the invitation is sent. This is the invitation that we've received. What an amazing thing that the gospel that was preached in Jerusalem in the first century is now across the whole world, that has now reached a place like Chatham, that we've heard the gospel, and probably many, many times, that we've had the opportunity to respond to this invitation and to, to come into the Lord's feast. Don't lose that. Don't lose the fact that the invitation was sent out to us. Right? We're, we're not the first group. We're not those that are the ones that would be expected to attend. We're not even the ones in Jerusalem that they would just usually pass by. We're the ones that was in the last group that just said, go out everywhere and find anybody you can. We're the Gentiles. And have them come in. What an incredible thing that we have received an invitation like this. And our invitation to partake in the Lord's Supper is meant to remind us of the invitation that was extended to become members of the family in the first place. This is a good reminder for us. Every single time we have a Lord's Supper here, it's, it's God saying, you're part of my family. You've been saved by grace. Remember that. Remember the sacrifice. Remember what was done for you. Just like in the first place, you saw the sacrifice. You saw what was done for you. And then come and rejoice. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. Rejoice that you're my child. Rejoice that you have this hope of my coming again. And examine yourselves in light of that. In in light of all that has happened to you. In light of all that I've done. So this is a wonderful, wonderful invitation. In those that were invited, there was no merit. There was no righteousness. There was no reason for them 
to be invited other than the fact that God chose to invite them. And it's an amazing thing that God invited people like us to his feast. The invitation was extended in Scripture to men like Levi, or Matthew, the tax collector, to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, those who were hated by their people, and for good reason. They were just swindlers. They were making money off the backs of, of their neighbors. The invitation was extended to, to people like the women, the woman caught in adultery. It's extended to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Right? We see Jesus throughout his ministry purposefully reaching out to the boy possessed by legions of, of demons and leprous men who nobody else would go near. This is the Savior we have, reaching out to those who are sick and poor and needy. In fact, in fact he said that he came to heal the sick, that the righteous need no need of a physician. So he came to call the unrighteous to repentance. He gives them the invitation to become his child, and in an instant, they go from reviled and despised and unworthy to heirs of the kingdom, to princes and princesses of God. This is the invitation that's been given to us. And when we come here for the Lord's Supper, this is what we've come to remember. This is the invitation we've been given tonight to come and, and, and glory in what has already been done for us. It's extended to them and it's extended to us now. The invitation to salvation first and now to communion with him. The second exists to point to and remind us of the first. There's a song written by Charles Wesley called Come Sinners to the Gospel Feast. And the song goes like this. It says, Come all ye souls by sin oppressed, ye restless wanderers after rest, ye poor and maimed and sick and blind, in Christ a hearty welcome find. Come and partake the gospel feast. Be saved from sin in Jesus' rest. O taste the goodness of your God and eat his flesh and drink his blood. See him set forth before your eyes, that precious bleeding sacrifice, his offered benefits embrace, and freely now be saved by grace. What we've been invited to. Christ said, come, and you'll find rest. And so we have the problem, first of all, that I think we think of this as just a tradition, and it's not. This is an invitation by God to fellowship with him set up by Christ. We have the second problem where I think we, we're not amazed that we're invited to it. I mean, we're, 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 we think too well of ourselves. Right? We are wretched sinners invited to feast and fellowship with the holy God. And finally, we don't understand the cost. We don't understand the cost. That the reason that we can do what we're doing tonight is because the God of the universe, the one who spoke creation into existence, sent his son to die in our place. I mean, can you just fathom Jesus being at the right hand of the throne of God from eternity past to eternity future, creating angels, and then all of a sudden, he determines, he plans to die for the people he's created that has rebelled against him. That he's going to leave that throne that he's been on from eternity past in order to die for his lowly creation. Omnipotence, omniscience, dying for Weakness and frailty. The, the plan should blow our mind. 
The fact that as he's on the cross, he's dying for us. And not dying for the best of us, not dying for what's good in us. He's dying for our sin. He's dying because we turn our back on him. There's no comparison that can be made. Right? What he's done for us is is, it's beyond our understanding. The precious blood of Christ saved us. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For much as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You realize that, that all of the things that we did in this church, if we, if we were here 24-7 and we just did tradition after tradition after tradition and we gave and we gave and we gave whatever we had, we would have nothing to offer Christ in order to merit our salvation. And so he said it's none of those things. And if this is a tradition tonight that's religious and meaningless, then don't come. No, verse 19 says, but we've been redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The sinless died for the sinful. And so tonight, we've been invited to feast with him. And so tonight, my hope for us, my goal for us, what I hope we do is just not go through the motions. Not make this another night where we put a piece of bread in our mouth and drink a little cup of juice and we go, yeah, okay, we did our communion thing. And I hope tonight what we'll do is we'll, we'll truly think about the sacrifice of our Savior. We'll think about the fact that we as sinners have been invited to this feast. And think about someday the, the hope that we have, the knowledge that we have, that this, this feast tonight, this small feast, is a foretaste of the day we get to eat with him in paradise forever. Right? The marriage supper of the Lamb and every day after that. So I'm thankful for this service. I'm thankful he's given it to us. And, and you know what? This is not something we can force you to do. But take time tonight to be thankful, to fellowship with God, to think of his sacrifice, and to hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our time here. Lord, I pray that um, as the elements are handed out, it would be a time where we consider and think deeply of your sacrifice and that we would examine ourselves and that you would um, reveal sin and reveal areas of our life where we're not living for you. God, I pray that we would submit to your lordship, that we'd submit to your love, and we do what you call us to do, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.